The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Let's pray together. Dear God, we're thankful for the gospel today. We're thankful for those these moments where we can remember that, where we can remember the truth of your word. God, we pray that right now, God, you would give us a desire to be for our city. God, we can't muster that up on our own strength. God, we need you to do that in us. So God, I pray you would do that for each one of us watching this today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, church family. I hope that you're doing well. And I just want to welcome you if you're online, if you're new today, thank you for joining us. Uh, This is a special time. Today, we're going to be talking about vision. And so this is Vision Sunday. And we're going to talk about uh, the future and really what the heart of the church is all about. Uh, So thank you again for joining us. And I just want to say at the outset, I love you. I'm thankful for you, each one of you that are tuning in right now. Um, I believe that God wants to speak to us through his word today. And so we're finishing up a series right now called Wisdom from Proverbs. And our text for today is Proverbs 11, verses 10 through 11. And our message is a church for our city, a church for our city. Now, if you're just joining us, we have been in something called a strategic alliance for the past year. Um, It's the heart and the hope that uh, Grace City Church and First Baptist Church would come together as one church and the vision is uh, together for our city. And so we're waiting right now on the final confirmed votes from the board and we're going to announce the results uh, this upcoming Wednesday and also what our plans are going to be as we move forward. But I just want to say thank you for all of your prayers. You know, we did the 21 days of prayer and and whatever the results, I want you to know that I believe that God is sovereign, that God is at work and that God has a plan for us. And so we can take comfort in that and just know that God is at work and trusting in him. Now, one of the guiding verses for us through this strategic alliance has been this, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you. And so what this is about is seeking first the kingdom of God. This is about God. And we believe that God is the leader of the church. And we also believe it's about his righteousness. And so we're going to talk about that in today's text. But as we think about that, we need to ask this question. Why does the church, and specifically our church, exist Well, the way that Grace City has stated it is that we are a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus. And there's two parts to that. First, it's a church for others. This isn't a self-centered church, but a church where we love our neighbors as Jesus has commanded us as ourselves. But then it also, it's this, that we seek new life in Jesus. This is a gospel-centered church church, a gospel-centered expression of, of what we believe the church is to be about. See, this is about having a kingdom vision. Now, what does a kingdom vision look like? Well, it's understanding that ultimately the church is not about me and my comforts. I love the illustration by C.S. Lewis, who's written a number of books, The Chronicles of Narnia and, and Mere Christianity and others, uh, where he uses the illustration of 
a cottage and a palace. You see, when God finds us, um, in many ways, we're a broken down uh, shack of a house. Uh, windows are busted, drains aren't working, things are, in every way it deserves to be condemned. But when Jesus comes into our life, he talks about this, that, that Jesus starts to, to change the way that the house looks. And he starts to fix the drains, he starts to fix the windows, he starts to paint the outside of the house, it starts to look nice. But then, in many ways, what we think is that Jesus came to just make this nice little comfy cottage out of us. But instead, Lewis says, no, because what happens next is the roof gets taken off, some of the walls start to come out, and we start to ask ourselves this question, what on earth is God up to? What's he doing? See, because I was comfortable with being a nice little cottage. And the explanation is this from Lewis. He says this, that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Again, throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. Here's what he says. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. You see, the thing about you and me is that it wasn't about our comforts. But Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. It's about dying to ourselves and clinging tightly to Jesus. And what you find as a disciple of Jesus is that you and the church were never about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. Because Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 18. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, friends, today, as we think about the church, it's not a building or a property. It's a people. It's you and me. It's brothers and sisters in Christ being built together for the glory of God. See, God is making a holy people for himself. And when we think about the church, the church exists because God designed his church not as a social club, but as a family, brothers and sisters set apart who have great hope because we have a living hope in Jesus. And so what that does is we have a hope for the neighborhood, our community, our city because of Jesus. And because of Christ, we are willing to die to ourselves, to disadvantage ourselves for the good of others, for our community, for our neighbors. See, we are called to love with no strings attached. Why? Because Jesus has loved us that way. Friends, that's what the church is. See, the church is there to bring the good news that no matter how weary, beaten down, depressed, lost, rejected you may feel, or how cynical and contentious our culture gets, we believe there's hope, a living hope, of new life in Jesus. Leslie Newbegin said it this way. He says, a church which exists only for itself is a witness against the gospel. It is impossible to give faithful witness to the gospel while being indifferent to the situation of the hungry, the sick, the victims of human inhumanity. And so as we come to this text today from Proverbs 11, 10 through 11, friends, this speaks to all of us. We all need to hear this. Again, no matter what the results are, 
We all need to hear this and trust that God is enough. See, this text gives us a beautiful picture of God's vision for His church, for His people living with God's intentions, for God's will, and for God's glory while they live in a city. And so what does it look like? Well, let's ask three questions from today's text. The first one is this, who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Second, how do they live? And thirdly, what are the results? Who are the righteous? How do they live? What are the results? Well, the first one is, who are the righteous? Well, here's what it says in verse 10. When it goes well with the righteous. When it goes well with the righteous. Now, the word for righteous is the word Sadiq. It's a word used throughout the Old Testament to describe those people who are the doers of justice. It's those who stand up against injustice. It's the ones who stand up and are made right because they have a moral compass because God is in their life. Now, this is important. For someone to become righteous, how does the Bible describe that process? For some of us, we ask, well, is it just being a good person? And and is it just me cleaning up my life? Is it that the fact that I've gone to church my whole life and so I'm automatically a righteous person? Is it that I've been a member of this or that church for this or that many years? No. No. The righteous are people who understand and receive God's saving grace. God's saving grace. Psalm 37, 39 says, The salvation of the righteous... The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. See, what we see here is this grace is God's righteousness. And from what we see in the New Testament and throughout the gospel, at Christ's expense. Christ is the one who paid the ultimate price for you and me to be named and claimed as righteous. See, the Sadiq are not self-righteous people, but they've been made righteous by a righteous God. See, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. You say, well, what do I need to do? Receive Christ. Receive what God does. The salvation is from God. See, the gospel tells us that we are more sinful than we ever dared believe. See, as God comes into our life, a holy God, and he starts to show us really what the truth is about ourselves, it's pretty messy. There's a lot of things that are in there that are not good, that are not righteous. But what he says is this, that you are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we could ever dare hope. See, that belief that we are received and accepted by what Jesus has done for us is the message of Christianity. And that means it's an invitation to you and to me to receive true righteousness. See, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, those three words, for our sake. Why did he do it? For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God makes us righteous. He cleans us up. 
And we must understand the order as Christians. First he cleans, then he sends us. You know what kind of person God's grace produces? A humble person, a generous person, a kind person, a loving person, a grateful person, a forgiving person. See, all the things that we would have naturally not been able to do, he makes us into a new creation. See, and as God makes us righteous through Jesus, he sends us into a world with his character, with his life. See, how do we become righteous? By confessing our unrighteousness and clinging tightly to Jesus Christ clinging tightly to him. And so today, if you've never done that, I encourage you to cling tightly to the righteousness of Jesus because he is enough. See, many times for me, even as a pastor, I think to myself, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. But when I read God's word, I see that it's not about me. It's about seeing that Jesus is enough and that his grace is sufficient for me, a pastor. And he's sufficient for you, whatever place that you're in today. And so the righteousness comes from God. Second point is this. How did the righteous live? Well, we see it in verses 10 and 11. It says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And then verse 11, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Now, let's start with verse 10. Why would the city rejoice when the righteous are doing well? When things are going well, when they're flourishing. See, because that's what the text is telling us here, that the righteous, they're they're flourishing in, in what they're doing. Shouldn't the people look upon the righteous and be a little jealous? Shouldn't they think to themselves, well, why not me? Why them? Why do the people rejoice? They rejoice because the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves for the good of others. They're rejoicing because there's good that's happening for the glory of God. You see, we've seen this all through the life of our church. That the city, when the city starts to come and say, Would you do this or would you do that? Would you be willing to help in these areas? The people see that the church isn't just a building on a corner. It's not just a people who talk a good talk. But we are here to serve and love the community around us. And that is happening. Amy Sherman, an author, writes it this way. She says, the Sadakim, the righteous, are defined as those who are so in love with God and his kingdom that they steward everything they have been given, their assets, their social position, their vocational skills, their power, their gifts, their prosperity, not for self-enrichment, not for the purpose of self-aggrandizement, but for the common good. And when the people at the top of the city act like this, then of course the whole city rejoices. The people at the bottom rejoice because they benefit by the way the Sadakim steward their gifts. They make life better for everyone. They make life better for everyone. Recently, I had an opportunity to do a write-up about my daughter. And they asked, what kind of person is your daughter, Elle? 
because the teacher wanted to know a little bit about her. And as I sat down and started to think about her, I started to write down that she's a person that, that loves to write notes of encouragement to other people. She, she loves to give gifts and share what she can with us. She loves to serve other people. And as I started to write down some of those qualities, I started to think that looks a lot like Jesus. That looks a lot like Jesus. See, the righteous don't see what they have as their own, but that's from God. And through that, the city is blessed. The city is blessed. It's the belief that God owns everything. It's all his and we are accountable to him. And so they share the the wealth, opportunity, possessions they have with others. And they start to look a lot like Jesus. You see, what this is, is about not just talking about it, but living it out. Action. The righteous are tangibly making a difference in their city and making life better for those around them. Have you ever been blessed by someone who lives like this? It's life-changing. But then we get to verse 11, and this is the contrast of the righteous, and here's what it says. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. This verse tells us about what the Bible describes as the wicked. And you'll recognize them by Specifically in this verse, their words. You see, words are powerful. Lies, deception, gossip, manipulation, divisiveness. The mouth of the wicked. Do you know the thing about people who love causing this type of dissension and controversy? They usually have a lot to say but don't do much to help others unless it benefits themselves. See, this verse says those type of people can ruin a culture of a city. But friends, I need you to hear this. This can also ruin the culture of a church. As believers in Jesus, we are not called to sit back, to criticize, to divide, we are called to jump in and serve Jesus faithfully. A quote from from Timothy Keller, he says, you see, cynicism, I have nothing better to live for than my pocketbook, my stomach, my career. Those people can never bless the city. They have no hope for it. They have no confidence for it. And if you look at what happens, it says that when these type of people are defeated, when the wicked perish, there's shouts of gladness. Why? Because they've made life so difficult for others. See, we see the righteous and the wicked. But lastly, what's the result? Well, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And then verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. See, the result of a people for the city is twofold. First, there's rejoicing. 
The city rejoices. Again, Amy Sherman says this, and I think this is important for us to understand this terminology. She says, now the word righteous in this little verse is also very important. It's a unique term used only one time, one other time in the Old Testament. It has almost military connotations in that it denotes the ecstatic rejoicing and celebrating that a small people do when they achieve an unlikely victory against their enemies. It describes the exaltation that people express when they have been delivered from the hand of their oppressors. So rejoice here is a big, robust word. This is a deep, passionate rejoicing. Not the rejoicing of happy birthday party, but V-Day rejoicing. Dancing the streets of Paris, rejoicing. The war is over and we won rejoicing. Now, my grandfather, Henry Joseph Tanini, was a prisoner of war during World War II, received a Purple Heart, um, greatly love and respect my grandfather and what he did. And thinking about him, he had to be, he was a part of the march uh, from Poland all the way to Germany. And there were many moments, he said, where he wanted to give up. And my family, my great-grandmother, we, we would hear the story of how she had received a letter of when he was released, when they found that he was alive. And just the overwhelming rejoicing that happened in our family because he was alive. He was free from the oppressor. Uh, oppressor. And you think about the, the, the ripple effects of what that does. Because if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here today. You see, there is a generational ripple effect that happens when people rejoice like this and they're freed. See, why did Jesus come? Well, he told us in Luke 4, 18 through 19. Here's what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, you want to know what the purpose of the church is, is to proclaim that good news of what Jesus came to do. And there will be rejoicing in the city because of that. And the second part of this is that there is a transformation that happens. He says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. See, another translation for by is the word through. So you can read it like this. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Now, D.A. Carson, who's a commentator on this text, says, I don't think that means they're sort of standing over the city on a mountaintop saying, I bless you, dear city. It's not standing on the hill here, standing on Mount Soledad saying, bless you. Hope everything's okay down there. or sprinkling holy water on, or pronouncing some kind of formula. It means all they do blesses the city. And in the context of speech all through here, it is the blessing of the upright in their counsel, in their advice, in their integrity, in their pursuit of justice and righteousness. The righteous. Not just talking about it, not just receiving it from God, but living it out in their everyday lives. God's people are blessed to be a blessing. And so some takeaways, you know, for us, as we think about this today, as believers in Jesus, 
When we think about the vision of what the church should be, what can we take away? Well, number one, it's this. It's remembering it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, our mission as a church will be to equip you with the gospel for everyday life. We want you to live this out. And here's the message of the gospel, that you are righteous through the work of Jesus. It's not because of anything you've done or anything that you will do, but because of everything that Jesus has done for you. And we want you to just sit in that, to soak in that, to remember that every day as you go into your workplace, as you go out into the world, to the store, wherever it may be, because there needs to be a difference in your life because of Jesus. You need to be a different type of person because of the work that God has done. Again, this isn't about our comforts, being a cozy little cottage. This is about a people of God being built into something far greater than they could have ever imagined. It's a gospel culture. A people who continually sharpen one another with the words of Christ. And so our next study is going to be in Luke 24. We're going to go through the book of Acts and we're going to look at what the church is really about. But that's what we're going to be studying and pursuing coming up soon. Our next point is a healthy church culture. And you ask, well, what does that look like? Here's what it is. Here's here's what it boils down to. This is a church that is driven by a gospel mission. See, what happens a lot of the times in churches is we start to discuss things that aren't about the gospel at all. It's not about Jesus at all. And yes, there are times where we need to talk about things that are important priorities, but if that is the driving force behind a church, it's not a healthy church. And we want to be a healthy church culture that is pursuing after Christ and God's will for our church. And so that's what we will always look to and be about. We want to be a gospel, healthy church that places a priority on Christ. Now I want you to know that there is a place for you in that mission. Because some of you today are thinking, well, what does that look like for me personally? And here's what that looks like. The next takeaway is intentionally discipling you for ministry. Friend, if you are a Christian today, God is calling you to be on mission with him. God is calling you to to make a difference in the community that you live in, wherever you may be. In 2010, Mark Green, who's the executive director of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, he gave this speech on human potential. And here's what he said. He says, a model of most churches is this, to recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of church paid workers. But here's what he says. The model we need is this, to equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their lives. You want to know what's the most important thing right now and really what makes up the heart of a church? It's discipleship. It's growing in God's grace, in God's mission, personally. See, this isn't about somebody else out there. This is about you. Saying, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I seeking his path and his wisdom and his ways? And this is about us, iron sharpening iron, coming alongside each other, pushing each other towards Christ. Friend, I want you to know that today, that's what we're about. That's what this is about. It's about 
helping you to become more like Jesus. Because if we're missing that, then we're missing the point. And so we want you to know that that's what this is about. And as a church, lastly, it's this, it's ascending culture. The reason we say every week at the end of the live stream, you're sent is because we believe that the church is not one hour on a Sunday morning, but that it is every day of your life living out into the world. And so this is the, the, the motivation and encouragement to let you know and remind you of your mission in this world. If you still have breath in your lungs, you still have purpose from God. And so listen to me today. We are the Sadiq, we are the righteous because of what God has done in our lives. And he has been radically generous with us, hasn't he? I mean, I've just been thinking to myself how overwhelmed I am that God has been so good to me and my family. Have you thought about that recently? Have you thought about God's gracious hand on your life, protecting you from all that he has? See, we are called to live radically generous because we have a radically generous God and open-handed because of him. And so let, let me ask, how are you living this out? Again, Leslie Newbegin says, the church is a movement launched into the public life of the world as no life except in this sending. The church's being is in that sending. What is the Great Commission? It is God calling us out into the world to go live out His purposes. And so as we look through the book of Acts, you're going to see that. And what, what we see is that also God drives the people out of their comfort zones. They were comfortable being in a certain place, saying, this is where we live, this is what we're about, we're going to just cozy up right here. But no, God is building something much bigger because it's about His kingdom, not about our comfort. And so let me ask you this. Are you living for the glory of God? Are you living for the kingdom of God? See, because our existence is in our sending, not in our sitting. Not in our, well, I can do this. Strength. Now this is about Jesus. And he's worth giving our lives for. The reason I say that is because today, Jesus, the one that we serve, the King, came down, became one of us, looked down upon, rejected, and put on a cross. The King of glory wearing a crown of thorns. And what did he do that for? He said he did it for you and he did it for me. But it's not just for you and me. It's to go out and to share with others what he's done. He says the kingdom is at hand. And he invites all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people to come be a part of this and to worship the lamb who was slain. And so will you let that be your vision because that will be the vision of our church. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. I just thank you that we have your word and we have the king who has made clear it's about 
your kingdom and your glory. And Lord, I just bind myself to that right now. And I I pray that anyone who is listening today who believes this, they believe your word. They believe that you're the king, that they bind themselves to this as well. To be a people for others, to be a people for those who don't know your goodness and your grace, Lord, and that we live that out every day. In our communities, when we don't do that on our own strength, we do that in yours. And we believe, Jesus, you are building your church. You are building your church. The hammer is in your hands, and we trust you as the builder. And so as your people, we come together today as we worship you, lay all before you, and ask, Lord, direct us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.